This summer, we were given a unique opportunity to have church inside the prison walls. On June 23rd, Eaglebrook brought in an entire service, including live music and a message. That day, in Minnesota's largest prison in Faribault, 144 men heard the good news of Jesus right where they were. Today, we bring that message to you. Here's Senior Pastor Jason Strand. All right, hey guys, uh, as Jeremy mentioned, it is an honor to be with you today. And I'm really thankful that each of you took some time out of your day. You guys know how to do church. I was standing in the back, I was like, wow, these guys know how to do church. It was just so good to be in a room with this many men who are saying, Lord, I need you. And it just reminded me of my life that I came to a point when I was about 19 or 20 where things were not going well. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and I was like, God, I need you. And I experienced so much mercy and grace from God, and to be in a room with a bunch of other people who I sense feel the same way of like, God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Uh, it's truly an honor here to be with you. We're in a series in our church right now, and it's called The Four Enemies of Your Soul, because there's some enemies for your soul. There's some enemies out there that want to pull your soul and your spirit away from God. They don't want you worshiping God. They don't want you coming to something like this. It wants to pull you away. And the first of those we're going to look at is found in Galatians chapter 5. Here's what Paul writes. He says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Our flesh is an enemy of our soul. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not to do whatever you want. A couple of observations about this verse. The flesh and the spirit are in conflict. That means that if you have the spirit of God in you, there's going to be something fighting against your flesh. Whenever I talk to people who are struggling with a sin in their life, here's one of the first questions I ask them. I say, do you want to stop? Is there something in you that wants to stop, that wants to fight against this? Because if there is, that's a pretty good sign. That's a sign that the Spirit of God is in you. But if you're walking around, you're like, I don't give a rip. I mean, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. That's a sign that the Spirit of God is not in you. Because if the Spirit is in you, there's going to be something conflicting against your flesh. Let's talk about the flesh. What is that? I mean, that's not a word we normally use. What is our flesh? Let's define it. When the Bible says flesh, here's what I think it means. The animalistic cravings apart from God. That there is a part of each and every human being that says, I just want to feel good. And there's a part of our flesh that goes, you know what? I'm willing to do whatever to feel good right now. I don't care if it's disobeying God. I don't care if it's going to bring some harm to my life in the future. I just want to feel good right now. And when we feel that way, that's our flesh talking. When we make decisions based on purely sexual gratification, purely pleasure, clearly I just want to control my life, that's when our flesh is the one that's calling the shots. There's an author, John Mark Comer, who says that one of the things that sets human beings apart is our ability to make choices. Just think about a coyote, for example. A coyote doesn't look at a rabbit running across the field and go, hmm, is it a wise decision right now for me to eat that rabbit? They don't, they don't think that way. You're never going to run into a coyote listening to a podcast on plant-based diets. 
and going, you know, maybe I should convert over. I'm not really so sure. You're not going to see that. A coyote is pretty simple in how it operates, isn't it? I mean, you see the rabbit, you chase the rabbit, you eat the rabbit. It's all pretty instinctual. We're not coyotes. We don't go to a restaurant and have the server plop a wriggling rabbit down in front of us. They give us a menu. And we get that menu. We start to make some decisions. We factor in the cost and the calories and the taste. And then we choose. Several years ago, I took my two oldest sons to a Timberwolves game. I am a Timberwolves fan. And I took my two oldest sons. They're about five and seven. And they brought a couple of friends with them. And the mom of these two friends, she said to my wife, she said, hey, I'm not super comfortable with other adults driving my kids. So could you just tell Jason to drive really, really careful? And I was all over it. I mean, 55 in the right lane. Hands on the wheel, 10 and 2 o'clock position. At one point, I had an 80-year-old grandma who whipped past me in the left lane. And she looked over at me like, like I'm like, hey, keep it moving, grandma. I'm driving safe. I'm going to go 55 in the right lane. When we got down to Target Center, we parked in Ramp A. And Ramp A has this kind of incline that goes up. And one of the boys in the back, he goes, oh, I love ramps. I said, me too, and I floored it. My thought was, I'm just going to fire it up to like 15, 20 miles per hour, get the boys all fired up for the game, and then I'll slow down and take my ticket. Somehow, in the quarter of a second that I came up with this plan, I didn't realize that the curb kind of jutted out like this. So you couldn't just drive straight up the ramp. You had to kind of go around the curb. So I floored it up to about 20, 25 miles per hour. My right front tire hit the curb and it exploded. I mean, you're talking like a gunshot just went off. I mean, it was, I maneuvered it into a parking place on the third level. We got out and one of the boys looked at my car and he goes, dude, look at that tire. I've never seen a tire so flat. And then he goes, I can't wait to tell my dad about this. I said, hey, buddy, you listen up. Hey, you go ahead and tell your dad. I'm fine with that. But there's a nacho and a cotton candy waiting for you at this game if you don't tell your mom. Now, why did I accelerate like that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just had a thought and my filter let me down. I mean, I don't know. I just, I just did it. I, I was trying to do the right thing. I was trying to drive real safe and be real careful, but all of a sudden, I just did something that I didn't want to do. You ever have something like that in your life? I mean, you wanted to do the right thing, but for some reason, you didn't do it. You swore you're never going to use drugs again, but then you relapsed. You swore you were never going to get that angry again and yell at that person that way, but then you just got so frustrated and the words just came out. That's our flesh. Our flesh is an enemy of our soul. Back to Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. What is freedom? Freedom. According to the great theologian Elsa from the movie Frozen, she says that this is freedom. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Y'all seen that movie? Yeah, me neither. Uh, 
She says, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. That's kind of the American definition of freedom right now. There's no rules, there's no restraints, I get to do whatever I want. I can define myself, I get to decide what I do, who I sleep with, what I say, and anything that tries to restrict that is taking away my freedom. What's interesting is that when the Bible uses the word freedom, that's not the definition of freedom that it's using. When Jesus says freedom, here's the definition that he's referring to. Freedom is the ability to do what you actually want to do. Freedom is the ability to say, here's what I want my life to look like. Here's what I want to do. And freedom is the ability to do that. Paul said it this way at another point in the Bible. He said, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't think there's ever a verse in the Bible that I relate to more than that verse. I mean, there's so many times where I'm like, I didn't want to do that. Why did I do that? I didn't want to do it, but I did. Freedom is the power to do what you want to do. It's when no substance or drug has control of you. It's when no sexual sin consumes you. It's when no emotion is out of your control. That is freedom. Galatians chapter 5 again. Paul says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He says, if you want to crucify the flesh, notice the first thing he says, you have to belong to Christ Jesus. When you belong to Christ Jesus, that's when you receive the spirit of God in you. And it's the spirit that fights against our flesh. He says, you have to belong to Christ Jesus and you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He says, hey, if you want to get rid of the flesh, if you don't, don't want the flesh to rule your life, here's what you got to do. You got to crucify it. You don't baby it. You don't indulge it just a little bit. You don't coddle it. You crucify it. And there's not a word that Paul could have chosen that would have been more jolting to the original audience. The crucifixion was about the most emotional, brutal, visceral form of death in the first century. He couldn't have said in any stronger terms, you've got to kill it. And this is so important. This is why some of us are here in this facility, because our flesh did something that we didn't want to do. And we've got to learn how to kill it. For those of you at a campus or online, I mean, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor... I see marriages ruined, relationships fractured, reputations damaged, jobs lost because people followed their flesh and they didn't have the freedom that God wanted them to have. So I want to talk to you today about how you kill your flesh. How do you actually do that? Let me give you three ways. The first one is this, identify the lie. Did you know that we are being lied to every single day? Advertisers. And they did an article a couple years ago where it was called Ad versus Reality. And I'm going to show you some of these pictures. I won't tell you the restaurant. I don't want to throw them under the bus. But here's the first one. These are two burgers. And the first one is the advertisement. And the second one is the actual burger. This is the Whopper, a burger called the Whopper. That's the ad. That's the reality. And they don't look like each other. Here's the next one. This next one is the Whopper Junior. That looks like a mutation. I mean, what is that thing? Here's another company that lies to you, beer companies. 
Several years ago, there was a beer company that wanted you to believe that if you drank their ice-cold frosted brew, that you would be a rock-climbing mountain man. Here's what you're going to actually look like if you drink a lot of beer, okay? This is what you're going to look like right here. Yeah. Thanks for clapping for that. <laughs> now, why do beer companies do that? They want you to think that if you drink their beer, you're going to be fit and you're going to get all the ladies. It's completely irrational. But they're not appealing to your mind. They're not appealing to your spirit or to your soul. They are appealing to your flesh. Simply put, here's the truth. Behind every sin that I commit is a lie that I believed. Why do people overspend? Well, because they believe a lie that I, I need that. I, I need that in order to be happy in my life. Why do people go into an exorbitant amount of debt? Well, they start to believe the lie that, that this isn't going to hurt me in the long run. And I, I need those things to be happy in life. Why do people have affairs? It's because they believe the lie that it's going to be the fun is going to be worth the fallout. They deserve to be happy. There's no hope for their marriage. Why do people have sex outside of marriage? Well, they believe the lie that it's not going to hurt their future relationships. It's just physical. Or I was married at one time, now I'm divorced. You know, that doesn't apply to me any longer. Behind every sin that we commit is a lie that we have believed. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said this, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. How do we walk in freedom? How do we live as free people? We know the truth. My father-in-law uh, struggled with an addiction to drugs and alcohol for, I think, about two decades. And when he was using, he told me that he would have these thoughts that would say, I should text my kids and tell them I love them and I miss them. But then when he would have that thought, he would have another thought that would say, how dare you say that? The reason why you don't see your kids is because of you. It's your using, it's your addiction, it's your behavior. And those thoughts would lead him to feel a sense of shame. And the shame would cause him to drink instead of text his kids. It was a vicious cycle. But about 10 and a half years ago, my father-in-law found a power to stay sober and not hate himself. And it was the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. He went to church and he heard the message that Jesus loved him no matter what he had done. He heard the message that he could be forgiven and he could be a brand new creation in Christ. And he always knew that, but he started to apply it to his life. And he accepted the gospel. And the gospel is the message, not that, oh, I need to clean up my life and get myself looking really good to God and present myself to him. Here's the gospel. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And when he began to understand that message, that truth began to set him free. These days when he has a thought like, you are worthless, he doesn't ruminate on that thought. He takes that thought captive and makes it obedient to Christ. He will think something like, I am not worthless. I am a precious child of God. My worth does not come from what I've done. It comes from what Jesus did for me. And the truth will set him free. When he has a thought that says, it's all your fault. 
It's all your fault. He'll say, God, yes, I'm guilty, but Jesus took my guilt and my shame and he nailed it to the cross. He takes every thought captive and he makes it obedient to Christ. What if we did the same? What if every time we had a thought, we took it obedient to Christ and we made it obedient to him before the truth can set you free? We need to identify the lie. Here's the second way to crucify your flesh. Don't open the window. Just don't open the window. I mean, I don't know many people who wake up in the morning and go, you know, I, I really want to have a fiery temper, so I'm just going to go off on someone later today. Uh, most people don't wake up and say, you know what, I, I'd like to become an alcoholic. I think I'll have some drinks. People don't start thinking, well, adultery is right. Okay, I guess I'll fantasize about my neighbor. It, it's the reverse of that. It starts small. Starts with a lingering hug, a double glance, a thought about what to wear when they're around. Temptation starts small. Here's the truth about temptation. The decisions that you make in small temptations will give you the strength to face the bigger ones. If you start making decisions now in the small temptations of your life, that will give you the strength to face the bigger ones in the future. The path to temptation is often gradual and not sudden. A few years ago, our family uh, drove out to Custer State Park in South Dakota, and I don't know if you've been there or not, but it's weird. They've got wild donkeys. You like come over this ridge, and you look down, and there's about a half dozen donkeys that are just wild, kind of running around. And these donkeys, they stand by the side of the road. And the reason why they do that is because they know that tourists like me will feed them. But these donkeys, they don't kind of just stand there politely waiting for you to roll down to their window. No, they're pushy. These are real pushy donkeys. Take a look at this guy. Just forcing his way in. And so at first, it was kind of fun. I had some carrots that I didn't really want to eat for lunch. You know, I was like, I don't need my carrots. So I kind of handed those over. And then a little bit later, he didn't go anywhere. He just kept his head in my car. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll give you some of the string cheese. And then I was like, I didn't have anything left. So I'm like, well, here's my sandwich for lunch. Next thing I know, the donkey had eaten my entire lunch. And he wouldn't go away. Here's a picture of this donkey just up in my face. I'm like, you got to get on my face, donkey. Now, here's the point where I'm going with this. Feeding the donkey didn't make it go away. In fact, the more I fed it, the more it craved. And it is the same with sin. Sin is not like an itch that you scratch. It's more like poison ivy. The more you scratch it, the more it spreads. The more you feed it, the more it wants. Here's the question I want to ask you today. What or who is the donkey in your life? What is that donkey, that temptation or that sin, that the more you feed it, the more it tends to control you? That when you think to yourself, oh, it's, it's fine, I'm just going to have one drink, I'm just going to watch a little bit, I'm just going to, I'm stressed, I deserve it, I need a break. But it's never enough. What's the best way to keep the donkey from eating your lunch? Don't roll down the window. The same is true for sin. Best way to avoid it, never give it an opening. Never crack the window and let it start pushing its head in. So here's the question. What sin do you need to close the window on today? It's not an addiction yet. Might not have taken over your life yet. But the time to close the window is now. Here's the third way to crucify your flesh. I think this is the most important. Tap into God's power. 
You got to tap into God's power. I got to tap into God's power. Philippians chapter four, Paul says this, I can do what? I can do all things, not some things. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. You got to memorize that verse. I mean, I go to that verse all the time. I used to put the emphasis on I can. Oh, I can do it. These days I put the emphasis on through Christ. Christ is the one who's doing it. Christ is the one who's doing the strengthening. He's the one who's doing the heavy lifting. About six years ago, our family moved into a new house and we had this piece of furniture that got delivered. It was the biggest piece of furniture I've ever seen. I mean, they were supposed to bring it upstairs for me, unpack it. Instead, the delivery people just left it sitting on my driveway. And so it's on this crate, and I'm standing there staring at it. I'm going, how in the world am I going to get this upstairs? And as I'm staring at this thing, this guy and his wife, they biked by our house. And he recognized me from church. He went to Eagle Brook, and so he kind of came up. He goes, hey, I, I go to your church. And he must have noticed me staring at this thing because he goes, do you need some help? No, never mind. I just met this guy before, but he, he showed up at my house. I'm like, yep, let's go to work. And so we picked this thing up and we brought it up to the top stairs. And Amy, I'm telling you, it's the heaviest piece of furniture. We were both dripping with sweat. When we got done, I jokingly said to him, I said, hey, I got a new couch coming in a couple days. You might want to bike by. I was kidding. I mean, I swear, we didn't even have a couch picked out. But two days later, we had picked out an L-shaped couch. I picked it up, I loaded it into this rented truck, I got it out of the truck, I put it on the dolly, but I could not get the dolly up my front steps. And so I went inside to call a neighbor or a friend, and as I'm on the phone, my son comes inside, he goes, you don't need to call anybody. That guy who helped you a couple days ago is back. This poor guy, he's in his 60s, he's retired, trying to just enjoy his life. And he biked past my house, I'm like, get up here again. I need your help. That was six years ago. Haven't seen him since. First week I moved in, saw him bike by two times. Have not seen him in six years. I know because I got a big table sitting out my driveway. I'm just waiting for him to come by. <laughs> Have you ever stared at something in your life and thought to yourself, I can't lift this? Have you ever looked at something in your life and said, I cannot carry that weight? I'm not talking about furniture anymore. I'm talking about a divorce that hurt you and you thought, I can't recover from this. I'm talking about your son or daughter's health issue. Some of us have something in our life today that we're looking at and going, I don't have what it takes. I can't lift that. I'm not strong enough. And the truth is we're not. But you need to know today that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. On Easter weekend, our family does something where we go to the store and we, we kind of put together Easter baskets. And so we get some gift cards and some candy and some household items. We put them in these Easter baskets and we have a little invite to church. And we go to this kind of low-income apartment that's near our house and we just hand out these baskets for free. And what I do is I knock on the door. When the people answer, I say, hey, we've got this free basket for you. Happy Easter. And then I say to them, is there anything I can pray for you about? And this year, I knocked on this woman's door. She opened it up. It was 10 o'clock in the morning, and she was holding a Miller light. I looked into her apartment. It was dark. 
It was cluttered. I handed her the Easter basket. I said, hey, happy Easter to you. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And she said, yeah. My daughter was just murdered. And at first, I thought I must have heard her wrong. I was so jolted. I thought maybe she said her dog was murdered. I thought she said her daughter got married. I was trying to figure out what she had said, so I repeated it back to her. I said, hold on. Did you just say that your daughter was just murdered? And she said, yeah. And I, I, I didn't honestly know what to say, but I said, how are you coping with that? And she held up the beer. And she said, best I can. And I don't always do this, but I got pretty bold in that moment. And I said to her, I said, hey, there are better ways to cope than numbing your pain. I said, I want you to know right now that there is a God who sees you. There's a God who loves you. There's a God who wants to help you. But you need to turn to Jesus Christ and you need to put your faith in him and he can heal your pain. And so I said to her, I said, can I pray for you? And I prayed for this woman, and when I got done, her eyes were just filled with tears. And I said to her, I said, I don't think it was a coincidence that I knocked on your door today. I said, I believe there is a God who loves you, who sees you, and who's with you right now in this moment. She softly nodded as she shut the door. That's what I want to say to you men today. I don't think it was a coincidence that we were allowed to do church here today. I don't know how many times you've seen something like this happen or a church came in and was able to hold a service like this, but I don't think this was a coincidence. I believe that God wanted to remind some of us today that he loves you. He's with you. He sees you. He sees all the pain. He sees the shame. He sees the guilt. He sees everything that you've been through in life. And he loves you. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And the song just has a very simple prayer. And the prayer is this, Lord, I need you. How many of us today need to say to God, Lord, I need you? I don't need myself. Me too. I don't need myself. I don't need what I do or what I, God, I need you. Lord, I need your grace, I need your mercy, I need your forgiveness, I need your truth, I need your power, I need your strength. And I believe that there is a God who will provide that for you, who will provide that for me in our lives. That what we need, he can provide, he can give you what you need today, and then he can give you what you need tomorrow. And so we're gonna sing this song together, Lord, I need you. And then I'm going to come back up at the end. I'm going to close this out in prayer. Let's all stand together as we sing this song. Oh. 
that guides my heart. And Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. pray for you. Lord, we need you. As I watched hands being lifted high, God, it's just a reminder, every one of us needs you. We need your righteousness. We need your truth. We need your healing. We need your grace, your mercy, your love, and your strength, God. And I pray right now that every one who's listening to this message and this prayer, God, would receive the strength that they need from you in this moment. God, if there's something in life that we're trying to lift on our own, something in life that we're trying to do on our own, 
apart from the strength that Jesus Christ offers, God. I pray today that we would rely on you, that we would call out to you, God, that we would take your strength and your power and it would be poured out in our lives. God, if there's anybody here who has never put their faith in Christ and has never had an opportunity to say, God, I turn from my sins, I repent, and I put my faith in Jesus Christ, God, I want to lead them in this prayer right now in the quietness of their own mind to just pray, God, I need you. I don't know if I've ever said that before, God, but right now in this moment, I need you. I acknowledge my sin that separated me from you, and but God, right now, I turn away from it. I put my faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin that I could never pay for myself. But he didn't stay there, God. He rose again to eternal life. And so God, I pray for the free gift of salvation and eternal life that only comes through grace and faith in Jesus Christ. God, for every one of us here, I pray you would set our eyes on eternity the eternity that we will spend forever with you, God. We need you right now, but we look forward to the day when we are in your presence fully. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, what a powerful way to show how much that we all need Jesus. I'm so grateful for the opportunity that we had to do a service in Faribault Prison, and I also wanted to let you know that beyond our services getting shown in a handful of prisons in Minnesota, we also have viewing groups that meet in jails and prisons as well. We have groups currently meeting in Hennepin County Jail, Stillwater Maximum Security Prison, and Crow Wing County Jail. And because of our partners Five Stone Media and the success that these groups have had, a lot of doors have swung open for us to go into other correctional facilities as well. We just need help getting these groups started. We've had opportunities in Shakopee Women's Prison, Oak Park Heights, Stillwater Minimum Security Prison, Faribault Prison, where you saw the service shown today. So if you would like to help bring an Eagle Brook viewing group to any of these locations, or if you have any questions, email us at online at eaglebrookchurch.com. And with that, thank you guys so much for joining us, and we will see you next week.